It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning, and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, Please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. Christmas is coming, and are you ready? Uh, we're counting down to Christmas right now, and there's only five days left. You know, the presents are being wrapped, and the youngsters are in their best behavior now because Santa knows who's been naughty and nice. And the uh, Christmas cookies, they're being baked, and I hope there's some coming my way. Our tree has been decorated for the past week, but uh, there's still a lot of things that have to be done before Christmas. The list is there, and it has to be worked off. Personally, I'm still trying to get the house decorated for Christmas, but uh, typically the cold weather has a way of shifting, uh, you know, stopping the outside decorations, ready or not, and then you're uh, going to focus on the inside decorations. Even as we complete the decorations, we need to focus on the real meaning of Christmas. <clears throat> it's the it's the religious significance of the birth of Jesus and sharing that with our family and friends. It's not the decoration and even the gifts that count, but rather sharing the meaning of Christmas with our loved ones. That's the meaning, that's the main thing about Christmas and getting getting the family together and feeling the love. And for the younger families, Christmas is always very exciting. The little ones in particular are all excited about Christmas, and Christmas morning is generally a jumble of kids tearing presents, uh, wrapping off presents, and showing what Santa brought them. And when this is over, the living room generally looks like a construction site with wrapping paper everywhere. But then Christmas is only once a year, and in between our Christmas planning, we can entertain ourselves with watching our equity market. This week, global equities were generally up, 
even in the midst of this uh, global coronavirus pandemic with lockdowns in the United States and Europe. The lockdowns are not as severe as they were in the March and April time frame, but they're still slowing down commerce and people and closing businesses and uh, uh, just basically a break on the economy. Uh, it's basically to help uh, protect ourselves. It seems that all the health risks that people get, took during the Thanksgiving holiday have come back to haunt us. Uh, maybe this will serve as an object lesson basically for the Christmas holidays. The seniors are particularly vulnerable to this uh, virus uh, considering the the uh, vulnerability of the seniors, people over 65 versus the youngsters. The seniors are a thousand, over a thousand times more vulnerable. And the, and the virus is not taking the, the week off for Christmas. So this week, there was great vaccine news. Uh, Moderna's uh, COVID-19 vaccine was authorized for emergency use by the Federal uh, Food and Drug Administration yesterday. And that gives us two effective vaccines for distribution. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Pfizer uh, biotech vaccine, that was the first one that was uh, approved at, uh, uh, in distribution right now to the individual states with 6.4 million doses, enough to uh, inoculate a little over 1% of the state's population. The first vaccines go to uh, the healthcare workers working directly with the COVID patients and also to the uh, nursing home uh, residents and staff. And there's another 12.5 million doses of the Moderna vaccine that should be shipped in about one week. So basically, we've got about uh, approximately 25 million uh, doses uh that are going to ship, be shipped in uh, December. Federal officials say that they expect enough vaccine to immunize about 100 million people uh, by the end of uh, February. So uh, right now, we're basically losing the battle uh, with the virus. Uh, but sooner or later, with the effect of these vaccines, we've got uh, the Pfizer BioNTech, uh, that's one vaccine that's been approved already. The Moderna, uh, that's the next one that's been approved that has lesser uh, restrictions in uh, handling. In other words, the Pfizer has to be kept at, uh, the vaccine has to be kept at uh, 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 dry ice temperature until it's thawed, until it's, uh, uh, you, you get the inoculation. And then uh, it basically spoils after it's been uh, thawed. So you have a certain period of time when you can inoculate people. It's more difficult to handle. It's the most difficult to handle. So, and it, But it's effective. It's 95% effective in uh, uh, the vaccine. Um, so that's being typically distributed to the hospitals, the big hospitals that can handle uh, that type of requirements, whereas the Moderna, the uh, shipping requirements for that are more like standard refrigeration, uh, which is a lot easier. That would be the part that would be probably shipped to uh, 
the Moderna would probably be shipped to doctors' offices and regional clinics and smaller um, outfits. So, and then there's another one, uh, the AstraZeneca, uh, that hasn't been approved yet, but uh, uh, that's been that's coming through the pipeline too. So, uh, but even with all this uh, vaccines. Uh, we're still losing the battle, and we will be losing the battle for a while with this virus. Uh, even as the vaccines roll out, there's no relief. Uh, since the start of October, the number of confirmed cases began to ramp up from uh, uh, 45,000 a day in, uh, in the start of October to approximately 200,000 uh, a day today. So, And also the deaths have been ramping up from approximately seven or 800 uh, deaths a day in the start of May to we're now approaching 3,400 deaths a day. So uh, that's causing more government-mandated shutdowns and restrictions across the United States. So basically, you've got a balance between public safety and uh, damaging uh, public safety with regard to protecting the, the people and also damaging the economy. In addition, the U.S. economy appears to be growing at a slower pace, basically due to these restrictions. And we'll talk about that later in the show uh, with regard to the decrease in retail sales. And in addition, uh, the, the, uh, there's an increase in uh, initial applications for unemployment benefits last week. In other words, the trend uh, had been, uh, the trend had been, uh, uh, the uh, unemployment benefits uh, had been going down, uh, but then again, two weeks ago, they suddenly reversed course and began to go up. So two weeks ago, uh, the numbers jumped up uh, uh, by 135,000 in one week, and then this week, uh, they jumped up 23,000 to 885,000 new applications for unemployment benefits. So. What you're seeing is a kind of a seesaw where the economy was shut down in March and April, and then it's come up, but now it's starting to feel the the effects of the uh, shutdowns again. Also, part of it might be that uh, uh, the effects of the uh, first fiscal stimulus due to the CARES Act is wearing off. That's where they had the two $2.5 trillion that was pumped into the economy. Uh, by the government, that money has probably worn off by now. That probably money was probably worn off in September. And uh, if you recall, in the April time frame, uh, when a lot of people were unemployed, the spending was uh, as great as it was in February before the pandemic. And that was because of the checks from the government and things of this nature. So, uh in that part of the economy that's exposed to the coronavirus and the shutdowns, like airline travel and restaurants and theaters and sports, uh, they need another shot of that uh, fiscal stimulus. The second stimulus has is, is been in negotiation since July, but I think they're getting uh, pretty close to an agreement. Uh, it looks like right now the uh, number of the... Uh, uh, stimulus will be approximately $900 billion. And from uh, different sources, 
uh, they've come up with uh, there'll be uh, uh, a check checks to people uh, originally uh, around uh, six hundred to seven hundred dollars uh, per check, and that will go out to millions of Americans. There'll be a, a income limit on it if you're making less than seventy five thousand dollars a year as a single. You get the full amount, and if, but it, that amount phases out until you reach approximately a hundred thousand dollars. And this, and for the couples, it's uh, it starts to phase out at one hundred and fifty thousand, uh, and is gone by two hundred thousand. So that would be part of it. Checks to individuals. Another part of it would be uh, approximately three hundred and thirty billion for the payroll protection plan. The payroll protection plan was extremely valuable uh, during the uh, spring when uh, uh, employers uh, could keep their employees employed by borrowing money from this from the uh, Small Business Administration. So as long as you uh, if you borrowed your money from the Small Business Administration uh, and uh, you spent it for uh, wages for the uh, for your help and also for uh, the rent and utilities, then the loan was absolved. So uh, to me, that was a big help to a lot of my clients. And uh, they just went down to the bank with their uh, their uh, accountants and uh, went through the books. And uh, uh, But that program uh, shut down, and now they're, they're going to try to re-erect that in uh, this particular uh, uh, stimulus program. You also have money for uh, uh, unemployment insurance. They're talking about approximately $300 a week uh, extra in addition to your state unemployment benefits and also the continuation of the unemployment benefits uh, through the end of the year into something like March or April of next year. And then you also have money there for uh, food assistance and emergency rent uh, relief. And, of course, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, has helped get this agreement here so far has been the uh, the uh, two contentious items that were originally part of the stimulus have been uh, postponed, and uh, that was... Uh, uh, aid to local and state governments, and also the, uh, uh, the limited liability or moratorium on liability during this uh, coronavirus for schools and first responders and businesses and stuff like that. So uh, it's a it's a uh, it's in progress, and it's, it has a very very short fuse in terms of reaching this agreement because. Originally, there were two critical programs that needed attention before the end of the year, and uh, one was the full year $1.4 trillion spending bill for the rest of uh, fiscal 2021, and uh, that's an omnibus bill uh, that combines the 12 annual appropriations bills, and the deadline for that omnibus bill uh, was late Friday. Uh, that just passed, uh, but that's been expend- extended. Uh, that was ex- extended uh, one week, previously one week, and now it's been extended for two days, extended to 
the uh, end of the day on Sunday, this Sunday, this coming Sunday. So uh, that's a that's a mandatory thing in the sense that the government can't spend money unless it has an appropriation, unless the Congress uh, has appropriated the money and the president has signed off on it. So uh, that's mandatory, and that has to be done by Sunday evening. And the uh, negotiators for the House and the Senate thought they could uh, tie that bill together with this uh, stimulus bill, but uh, they were a little too optimistic, and they thought they would get it done by Friday evening, but it didn't happen that way. So, uh, like I said before, they've extended that deadline for both bills, the big bill for $1.4 trillion appropriations for the rest of the fiscal year, and also this nine hundred billion dollars for the uh, the uh, stimulus. So uh, this is all part of basically congressional negotiations. And like all tough negotiations, nothing is final until it's done, and uh, nothing really is done until the deadline's up. So uh, they've got a hard deadline, a reasonably hard deadline. They could always extend it again. They've got a reasonably hard deadline for. Uh, getting this whole thing done by the uh, end of the day on Sunday, this Sunday, tomorrow. So it's a high-stakes negotiation involving $1.4 trillion in in federal appropriations plus $900 billion in the federal stimulus. So you're talking uh, $2.3 trillion in total here, or maybe you want to talk, think in terms of billions, it's $2,300 billion in these two programs. And that's the definition of a lot of money. But uh, uh, comments from uh, Pelosi, who's Speaker of the House, and McConnell, who is the Senate Majority Leader, and uh, Mnuchin, who is the Secretary of the Treasury, are all positive, and they indicate that they could get it done, but they have... Uh, uh, details that still have to be worked out. So hopefully it'll be done by uh, uh, Sunday night. The stimulus package will give the economy enough momentum uh, to get from here to the spring. And by then, the, va- the vaccines should be helping our uh, economy in terms of conquering the uh, virus. And uh, sometime in the spring, maybe uh, April or May, People will begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and they'll. Uh, there are different estimates as to when we'll get back to normal, but I'm hoping for uh, let's say July or August. Maybe that's optimistic, but who knows? Uh, what we expect to see then is that the U.S. economy will be ready to really take off. What we're seeing right now is that the the uh, big companies have uh, all sorts of cash available. Uh, they've been uh, selling bonds at these uh, uh, super low rates uh, during this pandemic. Plus, they, when this pandemic hit, they they grabbed all the cash that they could get their hands on. If they had a uh, a uh, credit at the bank, they immediately drew it down to get the cash in hand. So, what you're going to see in the springtime is the large companies have enough. Uh, money to really expand, and then that's basically that's what's expected in uh, 
sometime in the spring when when people see that the uh, uh, things are going to become normal again. We expect the economy to take off. Uh, right now, one section of the economy taking off is a uh, residential home construction. And uh, if you take a look at residential home construction, it is basically fully recovered from the, uh, the COVID shock. Uh, new, co- new home construction has accelerated so fast that it's basically running into operational problems. Uh, basically, there's not enough land, there's not enough uh, lots, there's not enough experienced help. Uh, prices of, uh, of uh, lumber are doubled. The uh, supply chains are straining with regard to uh, how many toilets and, and uh, tubs and stuff like that you can get your hands on. Uh, the monthly new residential construction for November, from the U.S. according to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, shows that for November, uh, single-family uh, permits were up 1.3%, uh, starts were up four-tenths of a percent, and completions were up uh, six-tenths of a percent. They also showed in this latest report for uh, November that multifamilies uh, are starting to pick up. Uh, the, the Sometime in August, uh, there was a kind of a switch and uh, it, uh, said that, hey, let's put all our uh, concentration on single-family homes and neglect the multifamily. But this month, uh, month no- well, last month, November, they started to see the multifamily picked up, too. For instance, in the case of multifamily, permits were up 22.8%. Starts were up 8%. But the completions were uh, down 34%. That really reflects that, hey, it takes time to build these things. Uh, the uh, If we take a look back, I mentioned before that the economy, the in that particular uh, section of the economy, home construction, uh, it's really caught up with uh, the, those uh, problems in March and April. If we take a look at November of 2020 to November of uh, last year, 2019, single-family home uh, permits, permits for single-family homes uh, increased 22% in the last 12 months, starts in, increased 27%. Uh, completions uh, decreased 4%. Now, if we took a look at the multifamily, uh, multifamily permits compared to a year ago were down 17.4%. Starts were down 16%, and completions down 7%. So, And then if we compare the uh, year-to-date in 2020 to the year-to-date in 2019, Again, it shows a uh, tremendous surge in housing in 2020. For instance, single-family homes uh, permits were up uh, 12.2%. Starts were up 10.1%. Completions were up uh, 1%. Multifamilies down. Permits were down 11%. Starts were down. Uh, were almost zero. Uh, they were. They were. They were starts, but. There was no increase in the number of starts, and the completions were up 5%. So new home construction uh, has done very well. It went down in March and April, 
In fact, if you take a look at those uh, uh, two months uh, during uh, March and April of this year, starts were down uh, for single families were down 38% for the month, and multifamilies were down 60%. But uh, they've covered a lot of ground uh, since then. Uh, give you an idea of, uh, let's just take a look at the starts. Starts in uh, February for, for single-family homes. They were they were doing seventy-three thousand starts a month, and then in March it went down. It went up to seventy-four, and then in April it went down to sixty-three, and then May was sixty-seven, and then she started to come up. And right now, uh, last month it was a hundred thousand uh, starts for single-family homes in in. Uh, in October, and this month it's 87,000. So home construction is doing well. And also, if you take a look at the uh, home builders' confidence, uh, a survey of single family home builders reported that builder confidence was down from the record high, but still very strong. And according to the latest National Association of Home Builders, uh, Wells Fargo, housing market index, they say that uh, ending a string of three successive months of record highs, builders' confidence in the markets for uh, single-family homes fell uh, four points to 86 in December. And uh, despite the decline, that's still the second highest reading in the history of the series. And uh, according to them, housing demand is strong entering 2021. However, the coming year will see housing affordability challenges as inventory remains uh, low and construction costs are rising. So uh, their chief economist of the National Association of Home Building, uh, Robert Dietz, said uh, builders' confidence fell back from historic levels in December as housing remains a bright spot for the recovering economy. The issues that have limited housing supply in recent years, including land and material availability, and a persistent uh, skilled labor shortage will continue to place upward pressure on construction costs. As the economy improves with the deployment of the vaccines, interest rates will increase in 2021, further challenging home affordability in the face of strong demand for single-family homes. So uh, that's one part of the economy that uh, is zooming along and really uh, carrying its own weight. And uh, if you look at the economy in general, what you see is that there's basically two parts of the economy. One part is the part that's exposed to the COVID and uh, airline flights, tourism, uh, uh, restaurants, uh, sporting events, theaters, and entertainment. And uh, uh, they've taken a beating and will probably continue to take a beating until uh, the spring when people become more confident about uh, um, joining into crowds and things of this nature. But the rest of the economy uh, had gone down due to the restrictions in March and April. But the rest of the economy has come back. And uh, 
Um, it's not all the way back yet. In other words, we'll go through manufacturing in a minute, and go through stuff like that, which will show that we're probably about uh, 4% below where we were in February before this whole um, virus thing uh, appeared. But uh, uh, the economy is uh, moving back to majority of the economy is moving back to uh, normal. Uh, this is uh, Jim McAleese you're listening to. Uh, you can give us a call, uh, and you don't have to be, we're not involved in the in the, uh, the, uh, the big picture. We want to hear from the, the, uh, uh, the, the micro picture, what's happening in your particular economy. We talk about what's happening in the big picture in the global economy because that has a direct impact on, uh, along with a lot of uh, investor psychology, has a direct impact on your investments. So you can give us a call, talk about your personal plan. Uh, the number here is 1-888-281-1110. Now stay tuned. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again? 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 Like I said before, you, you're, uh, uh, the most important thing that we do as uh, you know, financial people is to advise people on their financial plan and how that financial plan is uh, a plan, a roadmap that leads to them achieving their goals in life. And uh, those goals in life may go, they may go for anywhere from the, the uh, people just starting out in terms of uh, a car and an apartment and uh, uh, then uh, uh, getting married and uh, starting a family and buying a house to uh, the kids are ready to go to school. Uh, where's the money to help them? How do we get this? Uh, how do we get financial aid and things of this nature? And also into retirement when people are uh, uh, ready to retire and ready to say, "Okay, I'm done working. I'm uh, 65, 
66 years old, and I'm going to be on retirement now for the next uh, uh, 30 years until I'm uh, 95. So you have to realize that the life expectancy of a 65-year-old man uh, is uh, 85 or 86. And for a woman, it's a couple of years longer. So you're going to be spending on average, on average, uh, 20 years in retirement, uh, and uh, perhaps 30 years, depending upon uh, your life, your uh, uh, circumstances. So uh, that last paycheck you get from your company is going to have to last a long time. So you need the retirement uh, system, the retirement nest egg that's been built up to augment your Social Security and maybe your pensions or whatever else you have uh, to get you through that uh, 20-year to 30-year retirement. So uh, the way you do that is to uh, recognize when you're 25, or 35 or even 45, that uh, that event is coming up. Your retirement is going to start at somewhere around 65 or 70, and uh, you have to have that nest egg built up by then. So you have to be able to take your income in terms of your paychecks, maybe there's more than one, uh, and... Uh, use that to meet all your standard living requirements right now and also have enough to uh, fund what you want to do. If you're younger, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, fund your standard of living and uh, the down payment for the house and uh, setting aside money for the children's education. If you're older, it's uh, focused on uh, the retirement. Uh, uh, you have to be able to realize that if you start planning 30 years in advance, you've got the uh, the power of compound interest on your side. And if you make investments and watch them grow over 30 years, then uh, they'll grow into, perhaps they'll grow into three or four times the amount of money that you put into them. But you have to be able to realize that it's, uh, you have to start early and be consistent about putting the money away. And your financial plan then is a roadmap of how to get to the goals that you want to get to. The standard of living, maybe it's a new house, a new, maybe it's a business, starting a business, maybe it's a kid's education. Certainly it's going to be the retirement. All these funds have to be uh, funded. and. Uh, uh, watched over in terms of the investments and uh, what the returns are and whether that's achieving your goals. And, so Jim, we have some calls. That's basically a life, lifetime operation. Let's let's go to the phone. This is Jim McAleese. Uh, can I help you this morning? Hello? Hello? Hello. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, I have an inherited IRA. It's from my mother who passed away a number of years ago. And so since then, I've been taking those required minimum distributions every year based on my life expectancy. My husband is my beneficiary on this IRA. If I died before him, does he have options or does he have to um, take all that money out 
within 10 years of. Okay. Uh, I think you've got a good handle on the, uh, on the issue there. In other words, basically, if, uh, before the start of this year, uh, if a person like yourself inherited an IRA, uh, they could uh, spread, they could uh, basically spread that inherited IRA out from the time they got it to their uh, life expectancy. So if a person was, let's say, 50 years old when they inherited the IRA, uh, they would have a life expectancy of, let's say, uh, 86 or 87. Uh, they could spread that uh, uh, the IRA out for another 30, 38 years. The way they would do that would be each year there would be a required minimum distribution, and that would be the first year would be 1 divided by 38, the next year would be 1 divided by 37, so forth, until you finally got to uh, 68 years old. And, uh, and at that time, you'd be, uh, maybe my numbers don't add up there. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> at that time, that would be the end of that IRA. But that changed in. Uh, uh, well, yeah, so let's, let's stick back, let's stick with the original issue there. In the old case, uh, you could put a, uh, a beneficiary on there on your, you had inherited an IRA, you could put a beneficiary on there. And that beneficiary, if you passed on before you got to your life expectancy, that beneficiary could continue that uh, inherited IRA, only using the, uh, they'd have to use the same end date that you would use, and they'd have to use the same type of uh, uh, required minimum distribution. But all that changed in um, 2020 when they uh, uh, changed the requirement. Now, if even though your husband is on the uh, beneficiary, uh, if something happens to you and he inherits the IRA, he has to uh, get the money out of that uh, fund uh, within a 10-year period after he receives it. So uh, there's no required minimum distribution. He doesn't have to take out so much a year. It's just a matter of uh, after the 10 years are up, it all has to be gone. Okay. Okay. Does that answer your okay, question? Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Give a nice hour. Okay, you too. Uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Now stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAuley. Uh You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Let's go back to the phones again. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Yeah, yes. Uh, hey, good morning, Jim. This is Kevin. 
Um, hey, I have a. Uh, hey, good morning. Um, I have a question on fixed index annuities. Uh, that used to be considered a bad name in a lot of areas for investment advisors for many years. But it seems like over the last year or so that uh, uh, people are starting to change their opinion on uh, fixed index annuities. Uh, I was wondering what your opinion was. Uh, the the fixed index annuity is um, it's an insurance product. It's not a uh, a stock or a bond or anything like that. What the what you do is uh, make an arrangement with the insurance company, and the insurance company will pay you uh, over your life expectancy, and uh, it will pay you out until you die. Really, so. What they'll do is um, uh, the amount in your index annuity will go up and down uh, with regard to uh, uh, what the market is doing, but there will be restrictions on it. You won't get the full value of the ups, and you won't get the full downs of the market either. So to me, it's it's a investment for... Uh, it's not investment, it's an insurance product to ensure that you get a, a payment for life. Uh, they'll pay you as long as the insurance company's there. The insurance companies have done a good job of uh, staying in business. And uh, um, the returns will not be, uh, the ups and downs will not be as great as they are in the marketplace. And the other part of the downside is that uh, when you pass on, depending upon uh, how you, you know, put your beneficiaries on the uh, uh, the annuity, let's say, are you, are you married, Kevin? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so what you would do would be to have yourself as the uh, uh, the owner of the uh, uh, the annuity and also uh, the payment would be made to you for as long as your wife, you and your wife were alive. And uh, uh, but at the end of that, uh, when you're when the two of you pass on, that's the end of your annuity. So in the one case, you're doing a uh, in the case of making an arrangement with the uh, insurance company. Uh, you pay them a certain amount of money. They will pay you out a certain amount of money over your lifetime until your death or and the death of your wife. And uh, uh, that will be the end of the money. There won't be any money for the kids or for the estate uh, versus the usual investment process of having a, uh, a portfolio of stocks and bonds. Uh, the idea is that the, the idea is stocks and bonds is that you get uh, whatever the uh, market will provide, and you take out approximately uh, four to five percent per year, and increase that for inflation, and uh, uh, take that money out. And when you and your spouse are gone, uh, then there's still something for the uh, for the kids. Okay, so uh, the other thing about a fixed annuity, when I was talking about this, uh, taking so much out, 
they generally don't uh, allow for inflation. So what you're looking at now is that uh, when you make the arrangements with the insurance company, uh, you'll get that certain amount per month until uh, whenever you decide that you're going to activate it until the day you die. But if inflation gets out of hand uh, three or four years from now, then uh, uh, you're still going to have that same payment. There's not going to be a bump up in inflation. Okay? Do you have any? Yep. Thank you. you. Have any... did, did, did I... Kevin, did that answer your question? Yeah, I, I was kind of curious about, um, have you found that the annuities are getting less expensive as far as uh, expenses and costs? Uh, they may be, but uh, uh, the whole insurance issue, the whole there's there's fixed index annuities and there's variable annuities. The fixed index annuities, the idea here is that the uh, contract is that the amount of uh, funds will go up and down, will go up depending upon some uh, performance in the, uh, let's say, the some index, the standard of four or 500 or the Dow Jones. and But they won't go up as much. They'll be limited. and uh, But the whole thing is based upon the, the insurance company making about uh, uh, 3 or 4% a year on your money and then using half of that to, to pay you. So you're really uh, going to see an increase of about 2% uh, per year in those uh, annuity products, uh, and, which is very difficult to do right now because uh, the, the bond situation, the interest rates are so low. So uh, they, they might have been decreased the cost. Uh, they might have decreased the fees and stuff like that, but they're still working with a very small uh, return on their money. And that's gonna it's gonna impact how much they can give you. So, no, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of of the annuity. If you came into my office and said, "Hey, uh, I've only got a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, I'm 65 years old, and I want to retire," uh, then I would say uh, the annuity is probably uh, the thing for you. You know, because you really, at that point in time, you're limited to living for the next uh, three-year retirement with uh, Social Security and whatever you can get out of this $100,000. And you can't take any chances with that. Now, if you came in and said, I have, uh, I'm ready to retire and I have $500,000, uh, then we would talk about a uh, portfolio. but. Uh, uh, it's a you want to be. It's a super safe approach. It pays you a monthly payment for the rest of your life. It won't be that great, uh, but it at least will be there and won't be protected against inflation. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. You get good. Take care, Kevin. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned, I'll be right back.
Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Now I don't know. Welcome back to the Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAlee. You can uh, uh, this is Jim McAlee. You give us a call over our toll free number is one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Hello, John. How are you? Just wanted to wish you and all your listeners. Uh, you are the rock of Gibraltar. That's an old idea. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> and also, why is when Deja Vu invent the wheel, the lowest interest rate, money is already appropriated. Why is, why is the last minute putting the money back in the treasury by Mnuchin and company? And for the bang for the buck is an American expression. If we put the money already there, it takes less time to get the checks out to people. Obviously, last time it was delayed a week by somebody else's signature wanted to be there. I won't go into that detail. <laughs> oh, but what in the world is putting back I, in the money into the general fund? Crazy. Yeah. Well, it, 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 when they did when they did the uh, CARES Act in the March, uh, right. What they did as part of the two and a half trillion, they set aside four hundred and fifty billion for the Federal Reserve. Yeah. The Federal Reserve, that money uh, was to absorb any bad loans that they made because the Federal Reserve was supposed to go out and loan out five trillion dollars to corporate uh, buy corporate bonds and uh, Main Street uh, businesses and stuff like that. Well. It- the the end result was that nobody wanted, you know, once the Federal Reserve showed up and, threw the, and said, we're open for business and we'll handle $5 trillion, everybody, all the banks came rushing in and said, okay, we can handle this, we can handle this. So the Federal Reserve didn't loan out that much money. They didn't buy that much corporate bonds. So all this $450 billion that was sitting over there as backup for any back loans, uh, the Treasury noticed that and said, hey, let's Isn't that the that truth the last time also somebody, a well-known person said, yes, Americans will do the right thing at the last time, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you know, after all, compound interest is part of capitalism. Time lost is time lost. You can't recover. It's sad, right. sad, sad. Right. It's, well, it's, hey. it's an old saying. If I want to spoil one one of my own eyes, I want to make sure I will poke at your two eyes. That's exactly what is happening here. And I don't think founding fathers <laughs> wanted that because they didn't even know there was going to be a Federal Reserve Bank in 19, whatever year we created this. It's sad what well, they're doing. They're doing the sensible thing. We need that money now more than the last financial crisis. Am I right or wrong? Well, hey, they're going to, they're going to use part of that 450 billion. That's right. Fund the uh, the nine hundred billion. Otherwise, they could leave the money, the four hundred fifty billion dollars, over in the Federal Reserve, which it isn't doing diddly squat. And you, you uh, can't plant the seed and not by. nurture it. That's what we are doing with the capitalism right now in the small business at the backbone no, of the country. Shame on us. Have exactly. a nice holiday season. Be safe, hey, all of you. Good talking to you, John. Thank you very much. This is. This is Jim Michaelis. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Welcome back to Dead Wood Show. This is your, uh, your host this morning. Uh, let's talk about uh, industrial production. Uh, industrial production in the United States uh, went up basically four-tenths of a percent uh, in uh, November. And uh, that, those are numbers from the uh, Federal Reserve. And I'll give, I'll give you an idea of what the uh, industrial production over the last few months was. This month, or November, was four-tenths of a percent. Uh, October was 1.1 percent. And September, September, it was a negative 0.4 percent. So basically what we're seeing is that the, uh, the manufacturing, the industrial production, the way the Federal Reserve calculates it is they take manufacturing, mining, and utilities. And what they're seeing in uh, terms of the, uh, the uh, manufacturing is manu- manufacturing was up uh, 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 1.5%. And the, the leaders were there in manufacturing were steel was up 3.8%, motor vehicles were up 5.3%, aerospace was up 1.8%. Computers and electronic products were up 1.1%. And the non-durable uh, products, they were relatively flat. The only things that moved there were basically uh, food production that was up uh, uh, 1% and uh, paper products that was up 2%. So uh, if we take a look and say, okay, what happened here? Uh, the economy is, is still moving. Manufacturing is still moving. And uh, uh, we're basically getting back to uh, where we were uh, before. Now, if I, if I say, uh, where are we? For instance, like uh, uh, steel. Steel went up 3.8%, but they're still down 8% from where they were a year earlier. Uh, even the uh, automobile production. Automobile production jumped up 5.3%. But they're now even now with where they were a year ago. So what you're seeing is the U.S. economy is getting stronger and moving back to where we were. And uh, it's a case of of how long will it take us to get there. I think if the stimulus comes back, uh, the stimulus is $900 billion that I'm talking about. If they get that across the finish line by Sunday, I think what we're going to see is we'll be back to uh, where we were before by February. And that that being the case, then I think we're free. Oh, this is Jim McAuley. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. As we look forward to Christmas with its religious significance and the exchange of presents, we have to know that we have 12 gifts that were given to us by God at birth. These gifts allow us to overcome any obstacle. The first gift is strength. May you remember to call upon it whenever you need it. The second gift is beauty. May your deeds reflect its depth. 
The third gift is courage. May you speak and act with confidence and use courage to follow your own path. The fourth gift is compassion. May you be gentle with yourself and others. May you forgive those who hurt you and yourself when you make mistakes. The fifth gift is hope. Through each passage of time, may you trust the goodness of life. The sixth gift is joy. May it keep your heart open and filled with light. The seventh gift is talent. May you discover your own special abilities and contribute them towards a better world. The eighth gift is imagination. May it nourish your visions and dreams. The ninth gift is reverence. May you appreciate the wonder that you are and the miracle of all creation. The tenth gift is wisdom, guiding your way. Wisdom will lead you through knowledge to understanding. May you hear its soft voice. The eleventh gift is love. It will grow each time you give it away. The twelfth gift is faith. May you believe. Now you know about your twelve gifts. So use your gifts well, and you'll discover others among those a gift that is uniquely you. So until we meet again next week for more Gifford Show. May God protect you and keep you safe. You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, Call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.